0: Welcome to Our Social Impact, brought to you by the Prison Scholar Fund. The PSF's mission is to provide education and employment assistance to help currently and formerly incarcerated people succeed and thrive in society, while avoiding homelessness and the revolving door of re-incarceration. The PSF also advocates for reform and correctional education to increase opportunity for all. As a nonprofit, we rely on investments, volunteers, and are always looking for board members to champion our mission. Please connect with us through our website at prisonscholars.org, where you can find volunteer opportunities, make a contribution, and learn more about becoming a board member. You can also email us at info at prisonscholars.org and find us through most social media platforms at Prison Scholars. Become a patron by supporting us directly at Patreon with at Prison Scholars. We appreciate your review of this podcast through whatever platform you listen through. Without further ado, here's Dirk Van Velsen, founder and CEO of the Prison Scholar Fund.
1: Thank you for joining us today. We have Almeida Pitts. Yes,
2: thank you for having me.
1: And uh, it's wonderful. It's a great random connection how we connected.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. Uh, So tell me about what you do and yeah. And we really get to know each other here.
2: Okay, sounds good. So, Dirk, thanks so much for you know uh, introducing me, and I am a founder and principal consultant of Atimla Consulting. Uh, which is actually my name just spelled backwards, so A-T-T-E-M-L-A, consulting. And um, it's been really awesome to be in a place where I can use my adversity as well as my scholarship when it comes to uh, social work and mental health advocacy, as well as being in place of navigating, um, this, interrupting the school-to-prison pipeline and understanding how uh, mass incarceration is really affecting a lot of us. Um and just communities and generations. And uh, that is work that I do. But I also work upon diversity, equity, and belonging. Uh, we may know the term as diversity, equity, inclusion, but belonging culture is so necessary to create a culture of belonging, to feel like you can bring your full self to work, your full self within an environment, even in spaces of education.
1: So so what does that look like, the uh, bringing yourself to work or yes. bring yourself in any situation?
2: Well, I think it's so important, like... The, the aspect of being able to know, like, I can code switch Co- and I can speak like three languages as well. Like I can speak Spanish. I can speak Korean. I can speak Polish.
1: Because you just spent some time in Korea, right?
2: Yeah, I lived in South Korea for almost four years. Wow. And it was during the time of the Great Recession.
1: That's a tough language to
2: learn. It is a tough language to learn. But it's really powerful when you get to start seeing how the, uh, the calligraphy of everything works and the sounds and and you start understanding how like language is, it's really powerful to know that language enters you into a new world. Yeah. So learn Korean and I learned it by just being immersed. Like when you're in that space where you are living 6,000 miles away from your, your home country.
1: And, and nobody speaks And English.
2: nobody speaks English because I lived in like an area that's kind of like, mm, we're here in like Washington If you know, like, the Puyallup area, southern of, like, Seattle, um, it's, like, that area, right? So, unincorporated Pusan. So, South Korea has, like, really two major cities that people know about. So, Seoul as well as Pusan. And I started off in Pusan. And that was really awesome to be in that space. But I had to speak Korean. Otherwise, I wouldn't know how to like, navigate
1: anything. Yeah, you get it by accident. Because, like, I was yeah. here for, a, like, a month in 95. Mm-hmm. And I still remember, yo, baseyo, Yeah, yeah yo, hey, <laughs> hey, yeah, yeah. Like, every time you walk into the store, <laughs> it, like, I think one is, like, thank you and you're welcome. Yeah. Or something like that.
2: And the bowing is so awesome, right? Yeah. Like, being able to acknowledge people. So... Yeah, so it was just so awesome. So I was a uh, professor there at Dongook University, which is actually a sister college of the University of Washington.
1: We're everywhere. But go we, Huskies. We
2: go Huskies. <laughs> and so that was really awesome to be there and um, had a great experience of learning um, about communications. And I was a communications instructor, as well as the EFL instructor, and then I got to do international social work there as well. Nice. Yeah. So how did that even happen? Yeah, is, how did that happen? Yeah, I,
1: it'll, yeah. it'll come full circle back to your work now, I'm sure.
2: It does yeah. come back full circle. And so I used to work for the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs back in the uh, time of the Great Recession, 2008 through uh, actually 2010, 2009 through 2011. But I was just out of grad school in 2010. And with that being stated, it was just really devastating to know like you have this lifer job and then not be in that space where you're not going to continue. Um, and so I Any had the right
1: size or something and got rid of the, uh, yeah. some extras.
2: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I was just like, and you know, being the first person to come in, especially being a young clinician, um, and I was doing work with, uh, Addictions treatment center, um, or excuse me, Addictions treatment at the ATC there, as well as, uh. PTSD work and
1: mental health trauma. I think that's like an inventory theory. Last in, first out. Yeah. 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 (laughs) You're on LIFO, huh? Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. And so how I even got there was um, I was a researcher um, for uh, the University of Washington when I was in grad school. And I was doing work with the uh, Seattle Youth Violence Prevention Initiative here in Seattle. And that got me actually to the uh, university, excuse me, um, the VA hospital when I was just working upon traumatology and all that. Even further, I think it's really interesting how Full Circle Moment is bringing me back after South Korea, was having this opportunity where I got to teach, you know, at a local college here, um, Highland College, and that was really powerful to see this work, but um, having the amazing um, agency Team Child. Team Child is a law firm that really helps youth really interrupt mass incarceration. And they do a great job within the state of Washington to really help with
1: this. And how do they do it? Like, I kind of know because I have some some history there. Um, Not me personally, but um, so how do they interrupt the pipeline? Well,
2: I think about things like little things, like, for example, transcripts, right? People don't know that you actually can be in a space where with the support of an attorney, in this case, you can get your transcripts even if you owe things. So that is one thing that prevents you from going to the next level. If you don't pay for your trans or pay for the things that prevent you from receiving your transcripts at a school, you can't go past go. You can't go to college. You can't go to...
1: Oh, you mean for uh, primary school or prim- secondary?
2: Yeah, so secondary, high school as well. So like say you're going to college.
1: Oh, they hold hostage. Yeah. In, in, for what? For what kind of unpaid things? Say you have a computer
2: out? that you rented out. Or a library fine. Library fine. Yeah. yeah. And you just can't get your transcript, so you can't move on. No kidding. Without that.
1: Okay. Mm-hmm. Unless you have an attorney to step forward yeah. and kind of smash that it that loophole, down.
2: yeah. Yeah. To help you with that. The next part is we think about that zero tolerance, tolerance policy that has been affected like affected a lot of states, a lot of schools across the nation. Being in that space, I'm navigating that the zero policy, zero tolerance policy does not work. It does not work at all. So when you have a student who comes in who may be tardy or maybe have their first fight or whatever it may be, they're being asked to be in a place where they are being expelled. And then they're being disconnected from schools and anything connected to schools. Um, with that being stated, Team Child comes in a space to say, we have to get you involved into other alternative ways of uh, navigating school. Um, we're also trying to prevent homelessness, um, also the mental health aspect as well. So there's referrals as well that Team Child does. And that's been really awesome to be in a place where Team Child is really being this full uh, you know, stop for youth who really need the help that they seek when it comes to being a part of a system. That school-to-prison pipeline, let's even go further. University of Texas actually says, the School of Social Work of the University of Texas says it's the cradle-to-prison pipeline.
1: That's kind of true, yeah.
2: Yeah. So the families are not taken care of, right? And they're more, and that's how I have been a part of that as well, the cradle prison pipeline, being born into poverty.
1: Yeah, we were just talking the other day about how the fourth-grade reading levels Mm -hmm. kind of predict how many prisons the state builds. So instead of addressing the fourth grade reading level, I thought it's a dropout rate, whatever it is, Mm -hmm. you know, you have some markets early on upstream. But Mm -hmm. instead of addressing them there, you just kind of figure out, well, we'll just build some prisons.
2: Yeah. And so you have that. And that's interesting you stated that, Dirk, because there's also going into this tech world as well, that there are now new algorithms that are connected to this space of, will this person get out or mm, will they have a, a chance to have parole? And if the algorithm says a certain thing, it's a space where people are looking at the navigation of like, oh, the data is saying there's going to be a higher recidivism. So this may not happen. And when I state this, this is something that you can find and do your own work upon. This is just what people are looking at when it comes to the redlining within um, tech as well, and how are we being supportive of those who are part of you know, the system of prisons? Um, are we really giving them an opportunity to have a fair an equal right to, to, to know that there is another chance to to go beyond the system of the school-to-prison pipeline. It's devastating. Yeah. And it works kind of like how we see, and we watch Netflix, or we watch the things, there's the algorithms that just works just like that. All, all these data points are yeah. gathering. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So with that being stated, I helped to co-create a program that was with uh, Team Child, um, and it was uh, titled Project Scope, and we oh. did this
1: work. So just back up, how did you yeah. get uh, introduced to Teen Child in the first place? Yeah, so that you, is... You have some really great history.
2: Yes. we. Um, so when I came back from South Korea, I was teaching at Highland College, and I had this opportunity to uh, connect with my supervisor at the time, and they stated that um, they're looking for someone to help build out a program that is focused on um, interrupting or, or helping youth who've been a part of the school-to-prison pipeline. And how do we get them their high school degree, but also get them college credits, so it's kind of like a running start program.
1: Okay. And being a consultant, you're like, hey, that's my jam. I can step in and add some value. You
2: know the So I wasn't a consultant yet. Oh. Okay. I actually was inspired though to start consulting because I realized I didn't realize until recently that being a independent contractor as a Korean teaching in korea was actually consulting yeah i didn't realize that till later but coming forward i was actually faculty at the college at that time Mm -hmm. and so they saw my background they saw the things i did and i was just like oh yeah I can create this program. I got this. Yeah, I got this. And so it was really powerful because we worked with uh, King County Prosecuting Attorney's Office, Highland College, Highland Public Schools, Neighborhood House at that time. Um, and it was really powerful to see the work that was being um, done within that. And so that's how Team Child and I really connected, and we were doing some great work upon um, helping youth uh, really get those college credits that are needed, um, and really give them that that space of a buffer. Because that's how I've been navigating being a person who's a first gen. When you have somebody help you to look at the next space or to know that you can do something bigger, it's a really powerful feeling. But if you don't know, you don't know what you don't know. You know, sometimes you just don't know. And if you have somebody to kind of help you to understand, like there's more Some access out there, or yeah, coach. Yeah. Uh-huh. that was really helpful. And so with that, we had a great start, a great run with it. Um, but there's so many levels that we can improve upon. There's so many levels that systems can improve upon when it comes to helping those who have been formerly incarcerated. So um at this time, the pilot has phased out, but it's really powerful to see where things can go in the future. And so that's how Team Child and I have built together. And now I'm a, I'm a board director, a board, uh, board of director for Team Child. A board member. <laughs> a board member. There a we board go. Board member <laughs> on the board director. <laughs> there we go. So board member for Team Child. Yes. I want to say exactly executive director, but that is not the case. How big is your board there? So we have about, my goodness, I think it's about nine to 11 people. Because we have a, a good matchable size. Uh-huh, yeah. We have Spokane as well that has the support. We have some folks in Seattle. Um, so it's really a great, great space to be in. So being a board member has been really powerful for me to see also my privilege, my power, and how do I navigate and helping people with access, which is very important.
1: And yeah, so talk about the diversity of the board because like mm-hmm. it sounds like they help probably, you know, juvenile offenders mm-hmm. or juvenile people that ran in trouble with the law, however you want to use yeah. the language there. Yeah. Um and what percentage of your population you serve are people of color? Mm-hmm. and Is that reflected on the board? That
2: is a great question. So with that being stated, I don't have that data just right now. Um, but what I can do is acknowledge that it's important that we know that representation matters. Um, and it's important that being a Black board member myself is important to see others within the room to do that. I know that we recently as board members uh, really participated within um, Undoing Institutionalized Racism um, Workshops. And that has been really helpful for us to really see, like how we are being gatekeepers, or how we navigating things. Um, how do we make sure that we're participating within more equity, and not in a space where we are hindering the process or participating within an oppressive space? I think that's very important.
1: So, what are some techniques to undo institutional racism? Because, like,
2: because
1: yeah. that's just really like the culture of America. Mm-hmm. Or, like, how do you how do you right size? Yeah. People? Like, or how do you or do you start baby step just? Pockets where you can address it. You
2: have to start baby steps because the baby steps really begin with the fact that you know that we can be gatekeepers. Like, just the fact that I may have some information that I can give to someone, but because of maybe ego, or maybe I had to learn it this way, or I had to go through the trenches for this, and you need to do this too, or pay some type of like invisible dues. When it's like, no, share this information with people so that people can, everybody can be free. I'm not free until everyone is free, right? And that's so important to acknowledge that when we hinder the process or we hide things or we don't allow people to really be in a space where they can gain access to things, we're participating. We're being part of the problem. And so that's one of the things. Another thing is acknowledging, too, our privileges. We all have them. I think the first thing I think about when I was living abroad was having that blue passport, having this North American accent,
1: right? (laughs) <laughs> it's a privilege, but in some contexts, it's, it's, a, it's a negative. Like, I think a lot of people, they would love to have a Canadian passport, because nobody hates the Canadians. <laughs> but you travel the world as an American, and not everyone loves Americans anymore. Ain't that the truth? <laughs> I mean,
2: <laughs> especially with just, like, administration stuff and things that's happening right now, it's just like, yeah, it is not something that people would really recognize. But I must tell you, when I was traveling, especially being a black traveler, and there's some really great like travel spaces out in the world right now from I Love to Globe Globetrot to Travel North to Nomadish Travel Tribe. These are some really great spaces to really see ourselves within that space. Um, and I mentioned this because when I traveled, especially being in Asia and during the time of the Obama administration, people were like, wow, oh, you're from Chicago? Wow, like i never met an American teacher. And so like for me, this is why I go back to that buffer, You know, I mentioned that earlier, Dirk, of just like how people can navigate spaces. When you have somebody else who kind of sees, you can see yourself through them or you can see them as a reflection of yourself. It's really powerful because it allows us to see like, oh, I can do bigger things than what I think I can do. Or I know that I can navigate different spaces and I can have this too, or this is also a way for me to live and live in full abundance. Yeah, it's really awesome. Very sure, cool. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's one of the things that really got me into the space of navigating, how could I give back? I now have this MSW, now pursuing an MBA, an executive MBA, and I really want to be in a place of really participating in social entrepreneurship, social impact, and it's so necessary. So my consulting practice is really helping agencies and organizations to really start thinking about diversity, equity, and belonging. And if we can really work on the cultural belonging, you can really start thinking, and we can start thinking about it as a society, of not just in a space where we're working with just our peers, but those who may have come out of prison, right? Uh, We don't talk about how, like, in certain spaces, if you're a bit more wealthy, you've been to prison, it's fine. (laughs) Yeah, You're not going to have any really issues of a social, you know, social prison, because you have more access to, you know, funds, whatever it may be. You can probably get an apartment, Well, we know that those who've been in prison and don't have access, they can't get a job. They can't get an apartment. They can't go to college. Some places can't even vote. So like, it's hard to navigate that. And you mentioned earlier, we were talking about this, about the Pell Grant, right? And how it's so necessary to have that support for people. And I think that's so necessary. Cause I remember I got to the Pell Grant and I remember that being one of my, being a first gen, I was like, Oh, I got all these grants. And this is what's happening. And I remember that. And so hearing Excuse me. The Pell Grant being not offered to those who've been formerly incarcerated is just not.
1: Yeah, it's kind like of like when they pushed back in the uh, the tough on crime, war and drug days. Mm-hmm. They figured being tough on criminals was the same thing as being tough on crime, mm-hmm. so they took away all kind of the privileges that. Pr- criminals had, including right. the bell grant. Right. But actually, if you want to be tough on crime, you would increase funding mm-hmm. for education because yes. that reduces recidivism. Yes, It's pretty strongly correlated.
2: It, it is very much uh, correlated. and strongly correlated in that space. I think about spaces like uh, in countries like Norway, um, places where they are working upon restorative justice and trying to really put in this emphasis where there is greater uh, space where you're navigating this level of the same system and, and same social system that took care of you before you went to prison and the same one that needs to take care of you after. And I think that's what our society has felt is like, we all will take care of you to a point you get in trouble. Right. Okay. Hence why we love, like, I love Ava DuVernay's uh, 13th amendment, or uh, excuse me, 13th, which is the reflection of the 13th yeah. amendment. Um, and really giving us historical facts of like, slavery's not over. If you it just it, got if, shifted. Yeah, yeah. It just got shifted. Right. And, and called something else. Um, And so we're in that space where we have to acknowledge how important it is to have a society that takes care of you from the beginning, even if there's any levels of incarceration,
1: whatever it may be. It's kind of interesting you bring up the Norwegian or like the Scandinavian prisons Mm -hmm. because they they have a whole different society culture. Mm -hmm. Um, I was just talking to Brent Orell on a different podcast, and he was kind of talking about the history of those countries. I guess it's like a really barren landscape and the people really had to stick together Mm -hmm. to survive as a society. Yeah. And then so kind of fast forward to today, they still have this really strong bond as a society. Mm-hmm. Of course, a super high tax rate is about 80%. So you're kind of covered for life. Yeah, But the point is, if you if you mess up and you get thrown into prison, every prisoner has their own psychologist. You know, the, mm-hmm. the culture as a whole, when they see someone mess up, it's like, oh, my God, what happened to you? Yeah. We're here to fix you. Yeah. And the, everyone comes together. They fixes them. Mm-hmm. You know, they don't have the incarceration rate like we do. Oh. But they address it very personally. Yeah. So it's can. hard to take that culture, yeah. drop into America. Yeah. Because, you know, we're the, the uh, let's just bootstrap ourselves. We're a bunch of yeah. <laughs> Wild West <laughs> people. We'll just do it ourselves. <laughs> we don't need anybody to help us. Yeah. But we kind of do.
2: We do. We do. It takes a total like community. It takes a whole like. I mean, I know we've heard that so many times. It's so cliche of the African proverb. It takes a whole village to raise a yeah. community,
1: but it's it's real. And, and of course, we're we, not going to pay. We're not. Nobody around in America is going to be cool with an eighty percent tax rate to yeah. fund all these social services, because it's like that just sounds like terrible.
2: Yeah, yeah, and I mean, there's so many things that have been cut for social services yeah. that it's a space where people are not navigating like um, the system. When we think about the systemic levels that it will affect, you know, of just like systemic, the funding that when it's taken away, it really causes some greater systemic issues. And I think it's very important to acknowledge that when we do cut off that funding and we don't have that support, it really does affect so many generations and you're not interrupting like the root cause
1: of some things, right? So it's interesting you mentioned the 13th, because Mm -hmm. that's also really, it's like, instead of everyone like, running around with these little microcosm criminal justice reform agendas, if you could just fix the 13th. Right. Because, it, okay, what that means is we have, you know, 2.3 p- million people incarcerated in America mm-hmm. because it's cheap to do so. Basically, prisons are run by prisoners doing the labor. Mm-hmm. And they pay them, you know, when I was in California, I was getting 8 to 13 cents an hour. In the feds, I was like maybe 20 cents an hour. Mm-hmm. So they're paying you 20 to 50 bucks a month mm-hmm. to do to run the prison, whether cooking or cleaning or janitorial, whatever mm-hmm. it is. But if the 13th Amendment didn't exist and you had to pay people market-based wages, even a minimum wage, there's no way you could have thousands of prisons in America paying people actual wages yeah gosh. so that would. so instead of like attacking it on all these different criminal justice reform angles mm-hmm. just amend the 13th yeah amend. It. But I, i'm sure that's probably not easy No. <laughs> so <laughs> it's, it's easy to talk about yeah. we'll just go ahead and fix the 13th right. and then everything else will work itself out
2: but there's so many levels that are connected to it right and yeah. i think that's what we think about like levels of institutionalized racism as well it's so embedded yeah. i mean it's so embedded with so many different levels that it's hard to just go this will cause and solve one thing yeah. would it be a good start I think so. It'd be a major.
1: Like I think that wouldn't be the start. That'd come to be the end of it. Yeah. But I think California has like 160,000 prisoners. Mm-hmm. So if you're paying them all 40 grand a year mm-hmm. <laughs> to do stuff inside a prison, uh, no,
2: it is, it's something that she was mentioned too. As I thought about this, so ending that would be also a space to stop making uh, money off of bodies that are in prison.
1: Oh yeah, the, the for-profit prison. For profit That's been mm-hmm. kind of getting beat up lately. Oh yeah. A lot of you know, banks. Bank of America pulled out. A couple mm-hmm. of banks have stopped funding them. Yeah. And they need a lot of short-term capital, so mm-hmm. as soon as that, that, uh, that credit drives out there, they're in a tough spot.
2: Mm-hmm. But, you know, what's disturbing for me
1: to discover is that bodies who are
2: under the age of, like, 21 are like, and then this is California statistics, right? I love uh, the homeboy. Homeboy network. Yeah, the yeah. homeboy network is so powerful. So looking at their data that they share, and one of the things they said in California was like a body that's under 21 is like worth 150 thousand in prison. Oh, interesting. Oh, yeah. Okay. And then when you're above 21, it's it goes down, but it's still like like uh, 50 to 80 thousand a year.
1: They've got evaluation on the body.
2: Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, but it's still devastating to know. And that's why the 13th, right, is still yeah. showing that slavery is just not it's not over. And so that's some of the things that we talked about when we were creating the project with Team Child, was just navigating how systems work and how for-profit prisons, like, why is this even existing? Like, why do we have so much of, why is mass incarceration? Because for-profit is real. And so that's one of the things that I believe in, just really establishing when it comes to diversity, equity, and belonging, is making sure that people have a space to to navigate um, just the bigger the bigger levels of um, what it looks like to have somebody who's who's been formerly incarcerated and to humanize people, because that's the thing too, is that we don't humanize folks at all. When you hear like, oh, I've been fully incarcerated, it's like,
1: oh, okay. Is way? that's actually really funny because the study came out of Berkeley that shows, and I'm not really sure how they did the math, and even if the study's a little bit wrong, you get the idea mm-hmm. and it shows that 92% of all Americans have done something that could have landed them in prison mm-hmm. and is different than county jail prison mm-hmm. is like a serious felony yeah. so if 92% of Americans could have ended up in prison were it not for maybe privilege or a good attorney or just luck, mm-hmm. you know So when everyone looks at prisoners as the other group, it's like most of us are actually in that same group. We just didn't get caught.
2: Just didn't get caught. It's something that Van Jones has said. I know that he's done a great video with um, um, Al Jazeera, um, AJ, and they did a great video that was talking about just incarceration. He was just like, you know, you just didn't get caught. Yeah. You just didn't get caught. And so how many times have um, we've done or... People participated with in some things and just to get
1: caught. Yes, for sure. It's like when I usually when I talk about my history, I'll be in like New York City at some big conference, and I'll talk about the Dirk story. You know, might formerly incarcerated, mm-hmm. and some guy always come up after the after the end. He'll you know, be some some guy in his 60s in a three piece suit, all distinguished. He goes like, Oh my God, I was doing the same thing you were doing. Uh-huh. They called me Jimmy from the Bronx or something <laughs> like. It's like I was ripping in a Robin just like you, and then I just yeah. you know kind of grew out of it and I yeah. started a company. Yes. So. <laughs>
2: It's just that space again. I think we recognize just privileges and just navigating them, just like, just the car, I did yeah. it, you know, and it was considered maybe a norm of just like, oh, they were just in a phase or yeah. what it may be, and it's just like, really, like,
1: it's like I've had the police kind of drive me home from a drunk driving episode mm-hmm. and just turn me over to my parents, They're like, hey, here's what happened, handling inside the family, yeah. but that doesn't always happen anymore. We don't it really doesn't. have community-based policing. We have the hammer
2: yeah when you have
1: a hammer everything looks like a nail
2: yeah and right (laughs) right and i think also when you think about like black and brown bodies as well when it comes to police brutality like um that space too just like i think about you just saying like being able to have somebody to drive you home not everyone's like that and this is no shade because i think about my mother's been a former police officer a federal police officer and so like there's no shade to that um aspect of saying everyone's like that but let's specifically call it for what it is like it's police brutality. And let's navigate as well is that not everybody is making it home or I've been pulled over real talk and I've been pulled over on a former campus that like I used to be at and real talk. Like I was like, I, I, I play, I pay to go here. Yeah. I pay to go to this, this university. And I still got pulled over and it was just really a frightening moment, you know, because it's, three brown folks in the car. And then I have my former roommate who's in the back, you know, he's white yeah. and they talk to him and not the driver who's, you know, a brown person. And I'm just like,
1: wow.
2: And so with that being stated, like you said, the opportunity to just be able to get home, but that's not always the truth. And so I think about all those different levels, it's all connected. And how do we navigate that? And how do we interrupt this mass incarceration? Yeah.
1: Especially if you can humanize this, like you realize, mm-hmm. and that's the other thing too, is everyone's like, in America, we have this real, this punishment men- mentality like, Hey, you broke a law, yeah. you committed a crime against society. Mm-hmm. You need to be punished. Mm-hmm. But then they, when they personalize that, it's like, well, everyone that committed a crime is bad. Unless it was my brother or my nice. uncle. Well, then he just made a mistake. Right. So well, you can humanize it on a family level. You okay. just really have to realize, Will everyone someone's uncle or cousin?
2: And that's the empathy. And that's the yeah. thing as well is that I love to practice within my consulting practices empathy. And I do work when it comes to somatic work as well. Like, really, how does your body feel when it comes to that? Like, when it comes to talking about some of these hard topics, even in a space of talking about um, what it feels like to be other, you know, um, what does that feel like? What do you sense? What are you navigating? And when I think about that, I think about those different levels of when people can really acknowledge, you know, the empathy or saying, wow, it was my brother or it was my sister or my auntie or someone that was really close, a neighbor, then it's like, oh, but except for them, yeah, you know, they, it's, it's just them, you know, but it's like, but that's the real, the
1: reality for a lot of people is that. Yeah, I it's, think I think that's called the fundamental attribution error, mm-hmm. if I can remember from psychology, mm-hmm. which kind of means if you're having a bad day and you do something that's kind of like, well, I was just having—I'm a good person generally, but I was just having a bad day so this one thing happened. Mm-hmm. But when you look at it from another person and you, they're having the same bad day, then you attribute that one bad episode to they're just a terrible person.
2: Ah, uh, yeah. Is so you're kind gosh. of labeling them
1: as a terrible person when right. you only see one facet of their personality.
2: Yeah, and I think about this too, and I think about like. Historical trauma, that's something that we practice in mental health and the school of social work. I love University of Washington, some of the professors I've had um, who've done, you know, really good work around historical trauma, especially in need of indigenous professors. One of the things that we talked about was um, if you think about the, have you seen the doll experiment? the doll the doll experiment
1: is, is that the, the nurturing doll
2: no oh, no i don't know not. about that we don't... Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. so the doll experiment um it actually was started with dr mimi clark and dr Kenneth clark in the 1960s it was really to help out the brown versus board of education um which is the space to you know really trying to make sure that we could be in a space right now to do what we're doing yeah, yeah. and to be um integrated and all that um Well, they did the doll experiment with like preschool, early childhood, just students um, or young people and babies. They're like three, four, preschool, kindergarten. And they set a white doll and a black doll in front of the children and they asked, the children to say, which doll is the best doll? Oh, I've and heard this. Yeah. yeah. You not go on with it. Uh-huh. Yeah. So the good doll, the bad doll, the ugly doll, the pretty doll, and everything that's considered pretty, that's considered too good, was uh, attributed to the white doll.
1: And even people of color would do the same. Yes. Yeah.
2: Yes, the babies. I mean, they're yeah. like three, four. And so with that being stated. have already is, been dialed in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How implicit biases show up. And so you think about, like, when you were talking about that before, like the um attribution that you were yeah. mentioning before was like the space of implicit biases, how they show up, they show up so young, you know? Um, and with, with that, you get to see that there's issues that still occur to today. The doll experiment has been repeated since the sixties. It's been done in 2006. I think another institution did it like recently in like 10, 12, 14 and 16. Um, and it still has the same results of just stating that is the black doll that has the issues or black is ugly oh, yeah. or not smart. Mm -hmm. Yeah,
1: even when I was at Penn State, when I was incarcerated, I did some, I took some media class, and Mm -hmm. we had to analyze media for how they portrayed different races. Mm -hmm. And of course, this back in the the early two thousands, and of course back then. Some networks would do a better job portraying a Hispanic person as an attorney or a black woman as a CEO. Uh-huh. It seemed but it's kind of funny, like when you when we, I did an analysis on all these different channels and the worst ones were like B E T. Like uh-huh. you know, it's like you would think they would be empowering people of color but they actually did the worst it's mm. like they would always have person of colors like the gangbanger or mm. or the criminal
2: it's interesting to see how that <laughs> that works with it I remember when there were some things that BET was hosting and I was like why are we showing this we don't need to show like certain things that yeah <laughs> really don't allow us to show and it's, it's not about and I don't want to be ever to be in a place where we're like policing what it is right but just the experience of like is this how we want to show up as yeah. black folks, like what are we doing? You know, and we're not monolithic, you know. But then also I've been learning how to participate within how can folks be carefree, you know, because we're expected to to be a certain space and it as soon as we just kind of be a moment to just relax and do something different, it seems as if uh oh that's that doesn't that's not becoming. Or like I said, going back to the space of code switching, right? If I code switch and I say something, like I was giving an example when I was in um undergrad, I was trying to say the word Anglican. <laughs> like the English church. I was like, the
1: Angelicans. And with that, right. We must have mispronounced it yeah. the same way because I didn't know how to say it.
2: Yeah. but that. That's... When you look at
1: it at first blush, you're like, oh, Angelican. Angelican, right? But it's Anglican. Yeah. And so when... sounds, sounds my thing.
2: <laughs> with that being said, like, is that making me look like I'm not smart enough? Or if I speak some type of A-A-B-E, African-American vernacular English, am I not in a place where I'm not brilliant because I can code switch and I can say things that are actually a representation of my great grandmother, who's from Jim Crow South, who's the only connection that we have or have had. Um, Cause we don't know the history of like how we even landed here. Right. Because of the slave trade um, because of
1: slavery. You, you've lost your connection to your roots. Yeah.
2: I don't know the roots, but, yeah. With that kind of like almost like a patois, right, of in in the African-American language, it's just, wow, this allows me to have this identity. It allows me to, excuse me, be in a place where I can navigate um, culture, you know, like don't erase culture. And culture is not just race. There's so many different levels to culture. And that's what I loved about when you said about media. Being a communications instructor at a former college has been so helpful for me to help students to see, like, what is culture? You know, how do we navigate that? Yeah, <laughs> so I, I like the different levels of just when it comes to again going back to diversity, equity, and belonging, the culture of it. Um, when we really do the work, and you you asked me earlier, like how what steps do you take? I think the biggest thing is just acknowledging, like who are you as a person? How do you identify yourself? And if you took some of those things away, would you still be self? Could you still be in a place where you still felt brilliant, smart, enough? I think that's very important to think about because some people may connect themselves only to money or connect themselves to say like, Hey, because I have certain privilege, um, I can
1: navigate this, but what if you had to actually not have that privilege? Just be your own body. That's actually something really interesting about prison. Mm -hmm. When you get to prison, generally everyone's Mm -hmm. kind of stripped down to the bare. I think the military is the same way. Everyone's Mm -hmm. kind of the same, um, Mm -hmm. but over prison, it manifests in different ways. Mm-hmm. Some people have family support. They buy more canteen. Mm-hmm. So some people have mm-hmm. some privileges that way. But yeah. generally, we're all kind of at the bottom of the barrel. Yeah. And you really see people's true personality. Because when you don't have a flashy car, or flashy clothes, or a cool job, mm-hmm. you're all just a bunch of dudes in a tank. Yeah. And, and you really under, and you, you, since you live around them 24 hours a day for years, yeah. you, know, you never really spend that much time around people mm-hmm. that you don't really know. So you mm-hmm. get to really see it like really is
2: just hearing you say that, that kind of reminds me of that space where we were talking about earlier too about that human like humanizing right and so you get to really see someone yeah like really see them not all like you said the flashy stuff like the things that come but just really see a human
1: yeah
2: um and i think that's the part where we as people as a society we are so tied to so many things oh i went here or i went there you know, it's like, but do you have an education?
1: Yeah. It, it's funny that, that the phrase you said, you see someone. Because mm-hmm. that's the first time I heard that was in prison. Like, mm-hmm. I can't remember what I was doing, but one of my buddies, uh, he made some comment like, Dirk, I see you. Oh, yeah. And, and I, I had never heard that before. Yeah. And I didn't really respond to him when he said it. But later I was thinking about it. It's like, that's kind of cool. Yeah. Like, what that means is mm-hmm. I really see who you are.
2: So in mental health, um, that's one of the things I really believe in practicing um, and, and having a therapist of my own, but then also being in a space where I've been an advocate, been a clinician in, in the past and looking forward to getting back into it and being licensed um, at some point. One of the things that um, is talked about is called witnessing the power of witnessing to really say, like, I see you. Yeah. Like to really say, I see your struggle. I see you also in your victory. I see you just being vulnerable. I see you being a place where you're happy, joy, maybe even a place where you're grieving. But just the power of witnessing, seeing someone just be in a place of just a human condition.
1: So that sounds ridiculous. <laughs> like, like looking at people like they're other human beings.
2: Uh, <laughs> and that's why I think people Who's watching idea? is kind of cool. Yeah,
1: whose idea
2: yeah.
1: is that? Yeah. And, if we, and if we all look at each other, like we're all we're all in this together. Mhm. Mhm. What? Like how power. do you how do you define your community? Is your community your gay mm-hmm. community? Mm-hmm. Is your neighborhood, your city, your state, mm-hmm. your nation, mm-hmm. the world? Yeah. So however you define your community, mm-hmm. like we're talking about in Sweden, like their yeah. their community is probably you know the people they can touch. Yeah. Mhm. But in America, we're so fragmented. Mm-hmm. How do we?
2: How do we navigate yeah, that? How do we navigate that? But then I think about ecosystems as well. Like we don't realize, like I know people are paying attention right now to like the bees, right? Like if we don't have bees living, it will affect everything that we're navigating. Oh yeah. Well, you think about if a whole existence of a people are gone, what happens? I mean, we're seeing it happen. Like I think about one of my friends, she's um, I met her in grad school. She's Hmong. She's of the like Hmong people.
1: But I'm not familiar with the mum.
2: Exactly. probably not too many of them. Yeah, but it's you won't know that culture unless you think about, like, Vietnam or that area, because that's the only area that's still preserved. But I didn't know that existed. Yeah. And the people exist, but you think about how many people have been wiped out because of either colonization or because of what it may be when it comes to just erasing people. Yeah.
1: So I know we could talk about this all day, yeah. and you got stuff you yeah. need to do. <laughs> yes. Um, so I'll let you... I'll let you get out of here, get out of my hair, um, or me get out of your hair. (laughs) So what else are you working on and you want to plug before you go?
2: Yes, I'm really excited. Um, we have a luncheon with Team Child um, coming up. Last year, we did an incredible job of being able to connect with different community partners and community members and really raise funds for um, making sure that Team Child can really invest back into the community. And so the luncheon is May 12th, um, 2020. Seems like it's far away, but actually it's coming it's, right not, up. it's coming right up. And that's 1130 a.m. Yeah. to 1 p.m. at the Washington State Convention Center.
1: You're an awesome board member. Yeah. <laughs>
2: Doing a plug, yes, you, you forget. <laughs> yes, yeah. it's really powerful because I was I was there to see that and to be in a place where we have some great leaders who are doing really great work upon the fundraising. Um, and so that is one way that you can invest within that. Um, one thing as well is that I'm working on is collaborating with um, different community uh, organizations and and really trying to navigate and really help build out diversity, equity, and belonging. So stay tuned and please follow me on atimaconsulting.com. Um, you can also find me on um, IG, Instagram, and at a Consulting. Um, you can spell that out and also yes. give a, a
1: plug for Team Child so they can find your website. Yes,
2: you. yes, yes, yes. So let's do a plug for Team Child. Team Child is teamchild.org. Um, that is one word, team, T-E-A-M, child, C-H-I-L-D, .org. Um, please check uh, out. Our organization doing really great, powerful work within the state of Washington, um, helping so many youth and families to really be in a place where we're interrupting mass incarceration. Um, Another place that you can find my information, um, my my consulting practice, is a TEMLA Consulting, A-T-T-E-M-L-A Consulting, C-O-N-S-U-L-T ing.com and you can just find all my hashtags or hashtags as well as all my handles to like my different social media platforms and uh, I'm really excited I even have an online clothing store which is exciting um, yeah so doing social impact and um, every time you invest I'm working upon that so every time you invest or purchase an item I will invest back into organization um, so that you can make a social impact as well so that's nice. really awesome
1: yeah. is that like a b corp or a so uh, it is... SPC so, or, with a different formats?
2: Yeah, so actually it is um, under LLC. So it has um, under a team of consulting, which is exciting. Um, but I'm trying to be in a place where I'm trying to navigate that so I can really make sure it's really a place where it's social impact. And so that's one of the things why I'm going to MBA or get my MBA. Yeah. So I can really understand how to really like run a great social impact organization. Um, and having my MSW is really powerful because I understand that from a social justice perspective. But business having a business acumen is so important Hit but also side. social impact acumen is so important so awesome. yes
1: well awesome to have you
2: thank you so much I'm so this is really great dark and thank you for collaborating i look forward to doing some of the great things in the future
1: all right looking forward to catching up again
2: yes sounds good right. take right.
1: care nice thanks you right. <laughs> bye